Hello, welcome to this first edition of the Rugby World Cup North-South pod, a bonus pod for the tournament. Sam Bruce with you as ever, and pleased to bring in colleague Tom Hamilton for the first time at this tournament. Thomas, I know you've been in and out of France already. You're back at uh, back at home in London. Uh, how were your first few days uh, sampling uh, the tournament and a few French delights along the way? Yeah, no, it was great. So I was in Nice over the weekend. I was at Wales, Portugal and England versus uh, Japan. Um, both interesting games in their own right. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed Nice. Wonderful place. A uh, little trip to Antibes as well on the train. Uh, Lovely. To sample a, a sandy beach uh, just for research purposes. And um, yeah, it was great. What a place. So caught the sun a little bit as you might be able to see. And uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. So it was good fun. Uh, both games very varied. Uh, interesting rugby. Uh, I think it's fair to say Wales Portugal a little bit more expansive than England Japan. Uh, England Japan was it was tight for about sixty minutes and then there, but it was a uh, I think well the game of the weekend though would have been where you were I think undoubtedly Fiji against Australia was the game of the weekend. And slightly weird weekend I think overall. Um, South Africa Romania was straightforward. Ireland's game in the end was straightforward. We'll talk about them later, but overall, um, yeah, great to be on the ground. Great to be off and running, and absolutely loved it in Nice. Yeah, two weeks in for me, and who knows how many to go pending this, the result of this weekend. It may well be uh, an early exit for me back on uh, Singapore Airlines. I wouldn't dare fly Qantas at the moment. The way they're going, they might be going worse than the Wallabies. Um, but we're going to start with England, mates, where you were uh, on Sunday, uh, two from two. Um, and I guess probably their biggest games of the pool phase uh, out of the way, you know, pending what Samoa might do this Friday against Argentina, of course. But um, clearly a lot going on in the camp, in the build-up. Uh, it was a far from ideal preparations for Steve Borthwick uh, and his team. But, um, I mean, they could have done little else really, two from two. Maybe didn't play uh, particularly all that well. Kicked a lot of ball away up front against Argentina. But you, uh, you couldn't... Uh, you know, be angry at that result nor the performance. Um, but an interesting one now, a dynamic for the team with, with Alan Farrell clearly uh, going to be available uh, pretty shortly, whether he plays um, against, uh, against so we got Chile this weekend or not remains to be seen. But first question to you, mate. I mean, how is this going to upset things given George Ford has basically been one of the best out there two weeks running, marshalling the side really well, kicking his goals? Um, it's got to just, you know, shift things a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think, look, ad- heading back to the weekend first up, I think if before the tournament, given the build-up, you just said after two games, they'd have conceded one try, they'd have nine points, no real injuries, I think they'd have taken that in a heartbeat, to be honest. Um, and especially given the way the Argentina game worked out with um, the early red card. The Japan game, again, Ford played well. He was the one sort of putting all the strings. And then in the last quarter, as it became like there's more space opening up, it allowed him to play the width a little bit more rather than these little kicks from behind, um, which was interesting. So I think in terms of, um, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Farrell play, but I also think that they might play Ford at ten, Farrell at twelve. I think we've seen already that when France made all those changes for Uruguay, it disrupted their rhythm. Wales got through against Portugal, but only just, and they made thirteen changes. Now, with Gatland, that's a chance for these young players to experience the World Cup like for the first time. You can kind of see what he's doing there. But I think also England will be wary of this. When you saw the way that South Africa also made a few changes, but equally a more established international. So I think with England, 
I wouldn't be surprised if they made a few, but not completely wholesale changes. I think there's a few players who came into the World Cup with injury doubts. They had a host of players, actually, um, with injury clouds over them heading into the World Cup. Players like Carl Sinclair, Courtney Laws, and so forth. So perhaps they might want to keep on playing them. But equally, given this is an England team still building, and building on two decent performances to open the World Cup, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of a mix and match. So you may see, for example... Someone like Elliot Daly maybe dropping out of Arundel, a youngster given a shot, or yeah. perhaps they might. I don't think they'll change the spine of the team. Um, we saw that slight tweak for Japan where Marla and Sinclair started, and then obviously they brought in Ludlam in the back row as well. But I wouldn't be surprised if Borthwick doesn't make wholesale changes, makes a few here and there, but equally he, he'll want to keep this momentum going. They have a week off after Chile, then it's summer, and then it's the knockout. So while that week off will be hugely important, equally, you don't want to have a result which kind of plays in your mind in that time. They want to get the result done. They want to improve fitness. They want to improve the... Sorry, not fitness. They want to be able to improve the fluidity of the team. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make a few, but not loads. Do you think Borthwick has an idea of who his first choice 10 is at this point? Is it Ford? Has that shifted because of Farrell's suspension? I mean, we saw last World Cup, didn't we, that... Uh, Ford and Farrell played together in that quarterfinal win uh, over the Wallabies. And then the next week, Farrell was back to 10, uh, Tuilagi to 12, and I think maybe um, uh, Slade at um, at 13. So even Eddie was flexible in that regard. But given the way they've played, I, I guess the comprehensive nature of their victories so far, is is that what you think he's thinking for that, that you know, they're essentially through to a quarterfinal at this point in time, that, that Ford is his man at number 10? I think so. I think... Look, judging on um, some of the current form, it would be bizarre for them not to continue playing George Ford, but equally, one of the pre-tournament calls was he nailed his colours to the Owen and Farrell Masters captain. So, it's an interesting decision now for Borthwick, but he's someone that Borthwick, I don't think, really gives much thought to that sort of thing. He doesn't really give much to sentimentality. He's very much someone who is very um, sort of firm in his own ideas, his own views, his own principles, and I think that if they see someone like Ford also married with the fact that they've got Wigglesworth in the back line, who knows both players so well, I don't think what's the point in changing a team like that. So equally, though, the Chile game does give them a, a way out of this, where you do play Farrell at 10, you say we're resting Ford, considering yep. he's the first two, and then maybe Farrell scores 600 points, and then suddenly it's like, right, all aboard the Farrell train again. So it's a case of, I think, I would if we're playing, um, if England were playing Samoa on this weekend, I think they stick with Ford. Uh, but equally, you know, Ford Farrell. There's also Marcus Smith. He's playing. Well, he's playing well. He made a really good impact against Japan. But I think overall, they'll probably stay to the Ford fly half plan for the time being. But then maybe introduce Farrell as a twelve, which we've seen so many times. And it seems to be the perennial question of the ten twelve dynamic with England. It was all the way through Lancaster, all the way through Eddie, and it's now the same with Borthwick. So, I mean, they've got options, and that's what Borthwick wants. But I think Farrell uh, probably maybe as a twelve, Ford as a ten. Speaking of 600 points, it may be that France uh, put that many on Namibia, as you text me during the week. They're, they're the whipping boys, aren't they? Along with Romania and probably the two sides only in the tournament that you really feel are not bringing it down, but just are that significant, you know, level or three below um, even that, uh, you know, that ranking 12 through to say 17 or 18. Um, before we leave England, mate, finally, uh, just around the way they're playing. Now, is this, I guess, this negativity around. Um, their lack of attack, even though they, you know, they flicked the switch late against Japan, I guess, to, to answer some of those questions. But it was spoken about in the build-up, similarities to 2007. They were dreadful 
then dreadful through the pool stage and still got to a final. Have they kind of embraced this around, we don't care if we get the job done, we get the job done, no matter how ugly it is. And uh, can they kind of use that as a bit of uh, fire, I guess, inside a bit of motivation to to really drive this team through uh, well beyond where many people thought they'd be? Uh, yes, yes, I think. I think talking to Smiler after the game on um, Sunday, he was drawing those comparisons to 2003 where, in his way, putting it, it was kind of like they got the job done, they got Johnny to kick the drop goal and won the World Cup. So I don't think they really care the outside perception at all. So they keep on winning. I mean, if England were playing the most beautiful, expansive rugby you've ever seen, and they lost, then everyone would be like, well, why aren't they playing more conservative? So I think I think in this regard, it's definitely substance over style. If they keep on winning, then no one's going to care a jot, really. And this is where they are. Like, Walter took control of the team in January. Sounds familiar to where, you know, the Wallabies, you know, with the predicament they're in. But equally, it's they're looking for the new manager bounce. They didn't get this during the Six Nations. They definitely didn't get it in the pre-World Cup games. But Borthwick equally... Is renowned for set pieces. He's renowned for uh, solid defensive structure. He's reliant on processes. And look, England have got good kicking options, and this is the way they're going to play. If they play on the counter attack, they've got the likes of Johnny May, they've got Elliot Daly, they've got uh, Freddie Stewart, who's a good fullback. They've got options. But I think substance be damned. It's I'm sorry, style be damned. It's, it's all about substance at this case in point. And yeah, they'll probably put up a truckload of points on Chile and then Samoa. Goodness knows uh, what happened there. But I think for the time being, I don't think the players care much at all, to be honest. I think they ideally want to be playing like Harlem Globetrotters rugby and winning the World Cup multiple times over. But we've seen in past World Cups, it's not normally the way that teams win these World Cups by playing like incredibly beautiful rugby. Like the 2019 team built on the bomb squad, 2015, the way New Zealand won it again, they did play some brilliant rugby. But Dan Carter's boot was so important in that tournament and sure. very solid with a back row and like the France game apart, perhaps, um, where it was the Julian Surveyor show. I mean, it's it's the way things are. It's pragmatism, and this, that's what wins your World Cup, and it's being eliminating errors. It's staying on the right side of discipline, especially with the way that the red cards are working with head tackles and so forth at the moment. Um, yeah, this is the way forward, I think, and it's this is where England will be sticking to their guns. They always talk about how attack is always the last piece of the jigsaw, something Eddie spoke about a lot through his tenure. I imagine Lancaster did looking back now I'm trying to remember but I was a lot younger then so this is now I think this will probably be the way we see things work out and who knows it may just because of the way the draw is it may even get them to a semi-final and then all bets are off big time and suddenly that loss at home to Fiji doesn't look quite so bad probably given what they've done on the weekend and even against Wales when I thought they were incredibly unlucky uh, you mentioned the Wallabies there we will come to them and they've had more injury drama at training today if you can believe it uh, just a dreadful seven or eight days on that front um Let's go, though, mate, to the big game of the weekend. You've got to say, Ireland uh, and South Africa in Paris. I mean, when the draw came out, everyone just circled this one and they went, well, how have we got this one at this stage? But we've spoken enough about the draw and the ridiculousness of that in 2020, so we won't go down that rabbit hole once more. But um, news yesterday, uh, the boxers, they do name their team really early, uh, Tuesday night um, here, local time. And, of course, the 7-1 and one split now. Um, Christy Doran and I spoke about this uh, after the Twickenham game when they thumped the All Blacks 35-7 and I said at that time I think we're going to see it again um, I don't think we've seen the last of this um, and this game probably kind of makes sense to do it I feel like you, you know they kind of know how Ireland play and um, they know the Springboks know how they want to play and, and they've kind of it's not a free game as such but they've obviously beaten Scotland South Africa and, and didn't give away that losing bonus point so they're they're ahead of the game, if you like, at this point in time. But um, 
uh, yeah, so I, I always thought we'd, we'd see it again. Um, what were your thoughts on it um, from that match? And I guess were you all equally unsurprised that we've uh, we've got it popping up again in Paris on Saturday? Yeah, not surprised at all, I think. Depends what the traffic lights are saying, really, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. obviously it's green for 7-1 or whatever it is, but I just think, uh, look, it's, an, it's a really interesting one. I don't really get the criticism of it, to be honest. I think, okay, it's probably against the way that you know people are trying to perceive the game. They want it to be more expansive, less about the forwards, so on and so forth, less about a power game. But equally, they can do whatever they want, and if it backfires, it backfires, and it's their own, it's their own choice. So they're also blessed with a player like Quagga Smith, who could probably play in just about every single player on the pitch, apart from the front five. Every single, sorry, every single position on the pitch, apart from the front five. So. When you've got versatility like that, you can even imagine going an eight zero at some point with Quagga Smith as the uh, as the as a scrum off. So, yeah. look, they um, it's their decision. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's mind games. I think it's just the way they want to do things. So they yeah. top load the forwards. They're going to bring on seven forwards at some point. Um, as we saw, like the description was, it was the bomb squad. Now it's the nuke squad. Um, but look, it's. Erasmus, we've we've always known this. The way they won the World Cup in 2019, there was, um, you know, they were they were so well organised and they peaked at the right times with this the bench so important. 2021 lines, there were a few incidents where Ramsey may or may not have slightly pushed things, and now 2023 it's more of their innovation. I think look, it's the way the game's going. It's their decision. Um, crack on. And I don't. I also don't think Ireland will pay much attention to it. I mean, the only the only thing is, I doubt they'd go with it. They may have gone with a five three, maybe a Nubby six two, but six two. I think look, Ireland have got their own, they're confident, they're comfortable in their own skin. South Africa, yeah, if that's what they want to do, crackle. And it's a double edged sword too. Everyone knows it that they got away with it at Twickenham there a few weeks ago. Who's to say they might not have three injuries in the back line? That might be, you know, incredibly unlikely, but certainly one or two uh, isn't beyond the realms of possibility. Suddenly you've got um, yeah, I don't know, Cogger Smith for lining up against a, a Gary Ringrose or, you know, put him have to put him on the wing and have Matt Mac Hansen's fancy footwork or James Lowe's ability to beat a man. So it, we all know the risks attached to it uh, and perhaps they might play out this weekend. Um, just on Ireland, mate, you, you've seen, watched a lot of them over the past few years, um, clearly been, you know, the, the dominant team in this cycle, a historic series win uh, in New Zealand, um, Six Nations Grand Slam, obviously this year. Such a settled squad that we know is built around the program at Leinster and all working towards a common goal from uh, from bottom to top, if you like. Um, and you're right, like it just settled in their own skin is the best way to describe them, isn't it? Because they, they just don't seem to suffer any mishaps. They don't have Farrell, you know, even when he got asked about um, Owen's suspension and the tackle, he kind of did better that pretty well. And, you know, it was a non-story after, I guess, 12 to 24 hours. So... They're just so settled and, and nothing seems to rattle them. They understand how they play. And clearly Johnny Sexton is the man which it's all built around. And if he goes down, then there's a bit of trouble, certainly against the bigger teams. Um, Ross Byrne doing a, a fair job deputising in recent weeks against some others. But um, it's going to be a really enthralling test for them this weekend, isn't it? We know the box got really close to them in, in Dublin last year. And is this a game... Do you feel if they lose it, that's their campaign done? Do they need to win it to kind of maintain this, um, I guess, momentum and flow? I don't know how many games they're up to winning in a row now. It must be sort of 12 or 13 off the top of the head if you go back to that first loss in um, in Auckland last year during that series with the All Blacks. But is this a bigger game for Ireland, do you think, than it is South Africa in terms of the potential of a defeat? I think it's a really interesting one because 
if South go in, then they've already defeated Scotland, they've defeated Ireland, they'll top the group, basically. If 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 Ireland lose, then suddenly perhaps those demons of previous World Cups will start coming back a little bit. But I just don't think that's Ireland are so sort of solid at the moment. I can't think of another way to put it. They're, yep. the, the way they dismantled Tonga was so impressive. Like we were kind of there was a school of thought that Tonga might do something remarkable, like like Sir Charles Pierre there, etc. And then they just didn't really didn't happen. It was so controlled. They played with such sort of like um, I don't want to say aggression, but it was almost like passive aggression in that it was controlled aggression is probably a good way of putting it. Like they know exactly they're so good with their game management. They're so comfortable in the system, the way they play, it's completely drilled into them. But I, I don't know. I don't think it would be a huge disaster for them if they lose on um, Saturday. I actually think they'll beat the box. Uh, they've got a really good record against them. Well, I think they probably will end up. I think they'll probably end up beating them. But I think it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be a real sort of barometer of where both teams are. We saw the only comparable game so far, apart from Fiji Australia, probably would have been New Zealand France at the start, where that was like we saw France playing brilliantly and New Zealand looking a bit like rabbit and headlamps. So. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be a really interesting tactical battle. Equally, though, you do wonder, just because of the way the confidence in both groups, whether they will hold something a little bit back for the knockouts and they won't perhaps play yep. their biggest shots. But, you know, the, the build-up's been uh, sort of dominated by the 7-1 split. Oh, I don't want to be paying any attention to that. Equally, the boxer asked about Johnny Sexton and his his unbelievable career and the record he broke recently. Equally, they, you know, they, they faced world-class fly-offs in the past. So, there's going to be little bits of narrative here and there. Erasmus with his previous um, tenure in charge of Munster. The recent links like Jack Neenaber going to um, Leinster after the World Cup, these sort of things. But I think it's going to be fascinating. But I think Ireland will probably come through. The kicking game, I think, is going to be fascinating here as it has been throughout this tournament already. Um, we saw how both France and New Zealand used it uh, effectively in that first game. It's kind of different halves. New Zealand the first, France in the second. Uh, the Wallabies were woeful uh, on that weekend in that department. But particularly with South Africa's rush defence, isn't it? We know how potent it can be. And I think Scotland really struggled with that first up, didn't they? They just couldn't find a way. There was one moment Finn un- unlocked it. And I think Darcy Graham will probably reflect on on not passing there as potentially that big moment of that first half, which you know could have led to a different outcome in that match. But they just couldn't break it down. And It'll be interesting to see how Ireland manage it this weekend as well because of that short passing game, the pods that they use in that front line all around Sexton. And um, you're right in saying, though, too, that they won't want to give everything away. So, because they may well come back and, you know, meet each other in a final, even either the team who loses this game, who knows, it might be a draw. Um, we've seen from the last World Cup that, you know, clearly you can go on and win it with uh, by dropping a game and particularly from this stack side of the draw. So... Um, I'm going to be fascinated to watch that one. Dan, the 9pm kickoff. Uh, I know you're going to be there for ESPN this weekend. I've pulled the pin. Um, so I'll be uh, watching on uh, in the slightly less stressful circumstances. But that's going to be the big one for me in this game. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be fascinating. And you'd, I think it's, as we said, like the, the noise off the pitch as well. But Arnold will definitely look at how South Africa managed to get to Finn Russell and got into him in that opening game. They'll be mindful of that with Johnny. Um so let's see, like Gibson Park, if he's if they end up going with him and sex at nine and ten, then they have enough, I think, variety as well in that team to be able to combat the box and throw at them. And and then Farrell, he will know sort of those defensive systems inside out, alongside 
the other coaches he has there. So it's going to be fascinating. I think it's going to end up being a bit like a chess type battle where you're waiting for one team to show their hands. Except that's now mixing sports. That's now poker and poker and chess. Sorry, so I don't know what the right phrase would be with chess. You're waiting for first move or whatever it is. Not a chess player, mate, so I can't help you out there. Neither am I, clearly. Uh, but it would be... It's going to be fascinating. Um, it's going to be nip and tuck all the way through. Uh, Ireland will definitely have that. Uh, sort of the blueprint of box used against Scotland in mind. But as I said earlier, I think Ireland will probably come through. And the big difference to Ireland to Scotland, they've got Bundy Arcade, don't they, there at 12, which makes a huge difference compared to, um, uh, I guess, Tui Palutu, isn't it, there for 12? He'd be almost 10 to 15 kilos heavier, I'd wager. Um, he's, and we saw how potent he was against, albeit Tonga last weekend, but um, he's just another key man in that in that Irish back line, isn't he? Uh, fascinating game. Can't wait for that one. As I said, the 9 p.m. kickoff local, uh, mate, you and I have uh, already shared our, our woe at these. Um, I'm just talking about it driving up with a couple of RA people from St. Etienne today. And if, uh, if we tried to do that in Australia, I reckon 11 people might turn up to a game of rugby if it kicked off at 9 p.m. So uh, the Frogs, they can uh, they can have it. Um, Wales, Australia, mate, clearly, uh, the biggest game in Australian rugby history for, for some time, staring down, um, the embarrassment of becoming the first team, first Wallabies team to go out in the pool stage. Uh, that's if they lose this weekend through 10 tournaments. Um, it would, uh, we've spoken about rock bottom a lot in Australian rugby, mate. I, I know you're on the other side of the world, but I'm sure you, you've seen the 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 flows more than the ebbs of um of the uh, pursuits of um the Wallabies and, and certainly Rugby Australia through the past um, decade or so it's it's I don't know it, it's hard to know whether that is an overbearing thing for this team does that pressure weigh on you knowing that that's in the back of your head shit is that a mentality that you you can't escape or do you try and use it as motivation. Um, certainly there'll be some uh, changes this week. Tate McDermott uh, will be fit again. I think that's a massive in for the Wallabies. Pono Farmasili as well as fit to go for his first uh, run of the tournament, whether he starts or comes off the bench, just gives that little bit more strength to the front row depth there because we know how, how much they've battled with injuries to Alatoa and and then Taniela Tupu last week. And as I mentioned earlier today, if you can believe it, a third injury at training to Max Jorgensen, who... He's not going to play uh, this weekend, I don't think. Probably would have made his debut against Portugal next weekend. But, I mean, at what point do you ask questions of the strength and conditioning setup, how hard they're training? This is off the back of last year when I think there was sort of upwards of 20 injuries um, through, you know, that period. And, and half of those were probably at training. They were soft tissue. There was Achilles in there. There were knees. Uh, it's past the point of bad luck now. This is surely bad management, I think. Yeah, well, I think on this one, you'd know a lot more um, sort of about the ins and outs of the Wallabies count than me. And under Rennie, is it, is it the same S&C staff that were there under Rennie or is it all? Partly, partly. Um, there's certainly, it's an entirely new coaching staff uh, under Eddie, um, but there are a couple of physios and stuff who, who remain from that point. So uh, you've just got to ask though, after after last week when you had Will Skelton go down, sorry, Daniela Tupu go down on Tuesday with a hamstring, and then uh, Will Skelton on the Thursday afternoon with a calf. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are around the management, Eddie's, you know, denial that he could play right up until the final whistle and then revealed post-game that he's out against Wales. Uh, Christy and I had conflicting um, thoughts on that, but I just don't know what you gain from it. But, yeah, at what point do you think, guys, we, we've got to look at our training regime, you know, regime here, sorry, regime rather, 
um, what we're doing is putting our guys um, at uh, at risk. And I, I don't know what insight you can provide from Eddie's time with, with England, mate, whether that was an issue then as well. Um, because while Jorgensen, as I said, wasn't going to play last week, that, that missing um, Tupu and Skelton, you put those guys in last weekend, and I think they probably win that Fiji game. But as soon as they were out on that Thursday, um, or we thought Skelton was done as well, I was tipping Fiji all weekend. Um, and they're going to be massive outs again this weekend So against Wales. So uh, did, were there similar issues for Eddie in his time with England? Yeah, I think so. But I also don't know if it was just limited to England. I think it's just the nature of rugby now. Like right. teams, like they play, like the training when you're, I mean, the training we get to see, you never really see what goes on. No. Because they, you'll see them throwing around some rugby balls, doing a bit of running, maybe a bit of kicking, and that's about it. Um, but from talking to, to players, both... Uh, you know, near and far, it can be absolutely brutal, and they want to get to us on a very slim, on very um, limited occasions, as close as they can to match intensity to see exactly how players fare. So, when you've got the size of the players they are now, and uh, sort of the limits they're pushed to, I don't think it necessarily is surprising. It's just that the fact that it's the World Cup, I think, makes it even more unfortunate. But it's a really, really tough one to say because you just don't know what's going on uh you imagine that there'll be the reviews afterwards as there always are but it's i think first and foremost for a player like Jorgensen having just come back from injury it's really unfortunate that he's out again now like yeah watch out like that's suboptimal um and it's you just more often than not um the way modern rugby is players come into training every day carrying injuries they've got to find a way to get through i think that's probably where the focus should be is on maybe what these players are asked to do and the urgency, the culture behind it, where perhaps they wouldn't want to say, you know what, my calf's screwed today. I should probably sit this one out before you know it, you've torn it. I think it's one of those things, but ask any athlete if they're willing to play through, play through the pain to play in the World Cup and they'd say yes. Um, and this is where it is. So I think, I don't know the circumstances of the, the injury today. I don't know what... Yeah, believed to have come uh, taking a bomb or a, a high kick coming down and, and just uh, yeah, fracturing a, a fibula. So, uh, I mean, there's also, you know, questions to be raised is, uh, around the wisdom of bringing a 18-year-old, now 19 in his first season, who suffered a, you know, a fairly significant knee injury and missed the back half of, of Super Rugby. The wisdom of bringing a kid who clearly has got some development to go on into his body yet. They probably want to get another, I would say, five to eight kilos onto him get him up around that sort of 90 to 95 at least um, with the growing that he's going to do in probably the next year or two. So uh, I always found that perplexing, although maybe you look at a guy like Tom Wright who was so bad um, in that game against Argentina and think, well, why not give him a shot? But rotten luck for, for Jorgensen and clearly not just a Wallabies problem, as you said, too. They've just had the multiple. We saw Malcolm Marks and if it was the vision that was shown on, on social media looked almost completely innocuous, just that he was almost rolling back um, as if he was rolling away from making a tackle back over the tackle player to avoid being pinged for, you know, not rolling away essentially. And next thing you know, he, he's done. Geordie Barrett's, sorry, Geordie Barrett for the All Blacks has um, had a knee injury that was picked up at, at training the last few weeks. So they can clearly happen um, exactly a couple of months for Fiji. So um, yeah, maybe we're being a little bit too harsh uh, on the Wallabies, but certainly three in a week is, is, is not a good look. Um you're, I mean, you're uh, clearly, you, you've watched a lot of Wales in, in recent times as well. I, I guess 
to bring us inside what's been going on in Welsh rugby, not so much off the field. We know about the dramas at board level and um, trying to set up the pathways with the provinces, and that's been problematic for quite some time. But how have you seen this team, I guess, through the Six Nations, Gatlin's return? It wasn't a great series. Um, they had the warm-up win over England, then dropped the one the next week and were thumped by the Springboks. Where is this team at? And uh, I guess from that game, a win over Fiji, I thought they were probably pretty fortunate at the back end there. You mentioned the mass changes against Portugal. Again, fortunate to get what may well prove to be a very vital bonus point there in the 80, 83rd minute. Where are they at, Wales, under under Warren Gatland? Are they somewhere near that team when they were at the peak under Gatland? I guess even the last World Cup, 2019 and 2015, when they got to the semifinals as well. So I think they're probably at a similar stage to where they were in 2011 when they gave Warburton the captaincy yep. at the World Cup. And then they ended up reaching the semis. And to be honest, they probably could have reached the final. Should have. <laughs> yeah, I think they should have done. So I think um, I think they're probably at a similar sort of stage there. It's fascinating uh, seeing these two young co-captains he's gone for in Lake and Morgan and how they are sort of managing the situation. That They're so young, but equally... Uh, watching Jack Morgan play against Portugal, it was only Portugal, but equally, actually, that's a bit harsh. I'll take the back. If I just go back, I'll just do that bit again. Watching um, Jack Morgan against Portugal was fascinating. Look, Portugal were massive underdogs, but equally, Morgan uh, was a late replacement for Tommy Rafael. He'd trained that morning. He'd uh, already gone through with the non-playing players and non-playing players. Uh, they're sort of warm up, warm down, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then thrown in at the last second when he wasn't really meant to be playing. He was brilliant. Um, scored a key try. They've got some really, really good young players in this team. And we saw in the Six Nations, there was like an alternation between young backs, old forwards, and then young forwards, old backs. And you can see Gatlin trying to work out exactly what would be the the sort of the, the end game with this World Cup squad. And what we've seen is, as some senior players retired, you had um, Tiberich and uh, Alan Wynne-Jones retiring. You had... Webb, uh, Corey Hill taking up offers in uh, France and Japan, respectively. Gatlin's uh, kind of, it ends up being this sort of hybrid. So you've got these young, older guys like Halfpenny. You've got experienced players like George North as well. You've got Falatau in there. But then you've got this really young group who've grown up together, who know each other. They're comfortable in their own skin, but not cocky. And through there, you've got the chance to then build like another generation. And I think this is where they are at the moment. They're a really interesting point in, in the sort of development. So I think 2011 is probably a good way of looking at it. And so I fully expect them to reach the quarterfinals. I think they'll probably beat Australia this weekend. Uh, I think it's going to be really tight this weekend. And then, then again, knockouts, all bets are off. But equally, I think what they, they're really good at is finding a way, as we've seen the last two games, to get themselves out of the hole. So the Fiji game was interesting. At the end, obviously, it was a knock-on. Uh, but they they needed to get themselves together. They could have conceded another two tries in that last 10 minutes, but they managed to get themselves through. Portugal, they managed to get that bonus point try in the 80th minute, which would be so key now looking at how that group's mm. going to pan out. I mean, the, the group is absolutely batshit. Like, it's all over the place. We just don't know what's going to happen. It's brilliant from the outside looking in. But <laughs> equally, I think that's where Wales are. Really interesting point at the moment. Like, almost like sort of a Gatlin 3.0 after what we've seen since he took charge. But it's, yeah, it's exciting. And I think they're in a good spot at the moment. They've got good players. Rio Dyer as well, another one worth mentioning, a youngster. But that's where they are, I think. Probably similar to where they were in 2011. 
Yeah, and, and what about mate the the relationship between Eddie and Gats then? Because we know they went head to head for I guess what seven years over the Six Nations there. Um, uh, England's probably pretty dominant those first couple of years, and then Wales pegging a few back uh, later later on down the way. Um, do they like each other? What do you expect in the next few days? Are there going to be a few barbs there? They're both veteran coaches, obviously with you know, unrivaled World Cup experience, really. Um, Gats, you know, exclusive, well, not exclusive with the Wales, one tournament with Ireland as well. I think that's right. Um, and and Eddie clearly, you know, Australia, Japan, England, um, South Africa and Australia again. Um, just bring us inside there, mate. H- how do you see that that relationship? And, you know, will there be a shake of hands before the game? I don't imagine they'll be getting together for a beer beforehand, but um, just where's that at? Still is. They, they actually... They get on pretty well. I think I, I wouldn't say they're best mates, but I um that they also there's a lot of respect. I mean, they went for a curry with each other. I think for Six Nations launch a couple of years ago, or been a bit longer. That'll be crikey, it's aging me now. Probably would have been about five years ago. Or so um, there's a lot of mutual respect there. Yeah, I also think that I wouldn't be surprised if because they know how important this game is, if they both just keep themselves at arm lengths in terms of mind games this week. Now, I don't think that it needs it. I don't think it needs to get into each other's, under each other's skin. Now, I'm going to say this on by Friday. I think that's when they're like Wales and in their team. Someone's going to accuse someone of illegal scrummaging and then we've got another... <laughs> well, that's what's going to happen. But Bring it on. My immediate instinct is to say that I don't think there will be much said purely because Australia have to win. Wales know that a defeat against Australia would be, puts them back in a real sense of peril again. Uh, I, I think it might be quite quiet but look I've been extremely wrong about most things in life so there's every chance this is a dreadful uh, prediction but regarding their relationship a lot of respect between the two um, I, I don't know if they're mates I don't think they probably really are but I think there's a lot of respect and yeah definite handshakes and then a glass of wine afterwards I'd imagine Sounds pretty good to me uh, just in from Wallaby's training today and the media session afterwards uh, just arrived up into Leon and I mean, the, the Wallabies' attacking breakdown at the weekend w- was dreadful, and um, it was interesting listening to Neil Hatley today, who's the uh, the assistant coach, one of the ones that, that Eddie has brought in fresh this uh, for this tenure, this second coming, around how referees differently have not, I guess, have different focal points, but also referee the game differently. You know, some like to be very sharp on the whistle, and a guy like Wayne Barnes, who has this game this weekend, I, I think that's a pretty good result for Australia in terms of wanting to play with a bit more continuity um, like they did in that first half of Bledisloe 2 in, in Dunedin. Um, but just listening to that today and um, the way that refer- that breakdown was refereed by by Andrew Brace uh, on Sunday there, he, he didn't really give either side the chance to, you know, place the ball. Or we were talking about it at the journos today after between the, um, the, the vision off, which, as you say, was a few bas- balls being passed and a few being kicked and, and that's it, fellas. You're out of here. Around some referees, they require that hands on the ball and then the lift. You've got to actually make that physical move to affect the turnover rather than just putting your hands on the ball and trying to survive that clean out. So um, I think Barnes is probably a better referee for, for the Wallabies this weekend than, than how it was on the weekend. I think Tate McDermott coming back in for Australia will be massive. I wonder if there'll be a, a shift in the back row thinking Fraser McWright just there's concerns in Australia and it's been the way even when he was, you know, clearly favoured over Michael Hooper for this tournament. But I think even towards the back end of Hooper's career as well, the thought was that this guy's getting a bit small for Test Rugby and I think that's probably the wrap on Fraser McWright right now. I do wonder whether there might be a shift for 
a Tom Hooper to seven and potentially Valentina to six and try Lenny Gleeson at eight, who's the, the Waratahs number eight, who's a power player. So um, interesting to see what, what changes the Wallabies spring there. Um, the back line, you know, could they look to a Ben Donaldson at 10 and, and give Carter Gordon the, the week off? Uh, how has that been viewed, I guess, from the north, just around Australia's decisions leading up to the cup around both Quade Cooper and uh, and Michael Hooper? And, and not essentially, I think, having a backup 10, a, a nail-to-the-win backup 10. We know that um, Ben Donaldson played most of the season there for the Waratahs, but Eddie has seen him as a utility player and certainly been handy enough at at fullback, but that also means they've been keeping Andrew Kellaway out of the team, and I just wonder whether there might be a switch there for for Donaldson at ten and, and Kellaway to come into to fifteen. Um, but geez, uh, you know what would have been your move, mate? Would you have brought Quade Cooper over? Or Bernard Foley? Um, yeah. it, it, I'll tell you what, it it works both ways. So had it's all with hindsight now, isn't it? As well, had mm. he the young lad Gordon um, Gray, yeah played brilliantly, then it'll be a master stroke because he's put all his eggs in the Gordon basket. He's played really well. You know what? He's got his trust. The really interesting point, I thought, uh, was the one, I'm not sure who raised it, but it was around having that mentor in the camp and for someone to talk to after yep. a game where you, you've had a poor game, you need someone to talk to who's been in your position, you know what it's like, you've been hooked after 50 minutes. That was one thing where I think they probably needed it. I was, I don't know the full ins and outs, um, of the, the Hooper decision. Again, surprised not to see him, considering we all know him as an amazing captain. One He'll go down as one of the best wallabies ever. Yep. Um, that was a surprise. Uh, but it's always one of these things where it's a great idea until it isn't, and it's, until it doesn't work. And I think that's kind of where we are now, where you're thinking maybe they should have done this, maybe they should have done that. Uh, it, look, it's, at the moment, you'd like to think, well, you would think that... Um, there would be another fly half option there rather than putting it all in the golden basket. You're talking about um the other uh the the versatile back starting again. Yeah. So look, it's it's not ideal. If Eddie would do it again, would he do it differently? Maybe. He'd never tell us if he did think that. Just not the way is it. Coaches would never admit that. But yeah, it's it's a strange one. And I think this will be one of these things where after the World Cup, if depending on how Saturday goes, um sorry, Sunday goes, then it'll be yeah. one of these things where you look back and think, did I do that right? But at the time, it was hit what the decision he felt was right, and he went with it. So that's why they paid the big bucks. Indeed. All right. So, mate, you're on Wales this weekend. Uh, what are you What are you tipping by how many? I think Wales will win. I think it'll be nervy. I think it'll only be a couple of points. I think it'll end up being um, extremely tight. I think a lot of it might come down to discipline. And, 18 uh, penalties for the Wallabies last weekend. So massive, yeah. But Barnes, Barnes is at the stage... Um, of his sort of refereeing maturity now where he's very happy to let things go and let the game let the game go. So I think it should hopefully be a belter. I think Ireland, South Africa, Ireland, uh, I think probably just to edge that. But equally, look, I wouldn't be surprised if it went, you know, flip a coin on both of them. Both of them. I think if uh, money right now, I'll go Ireland and Wales just. I'm going to go South Africa and Australia. I think, you know, particularly Australia, again, I think it's a couple of points in it either way. I think Wales probably... Pick up the losing bonus point and then, you know, strap yourselves in for, for Georgia to play the spoilers uh, for either Fiji or Wales um, or even the Wallabies, you know, against Portugal. We saw what a good crack. You would think that if they do get through with a win this weekend, then they're going to name a fully strength squad to play Portugal in that final game, knowing that they'll have to get 
um, a four try bonus point. Uh, and I did say before the tournament, I thought of any pool, this was the one that could throw up a situation where each of Wales, Australia and Fiji take a game from each other um, with Georgia just being the outlier then. So um, cannot wait for Sunday, mate. You'll be up. Geez, you'll be exhausted by come Monday. Um, I hope, uh, I know you're off to the Ryder Cup next week. I hope there's not too much expected of you in Rome on, on Monday because you are, you might need a, a little afternoon nap when you land. Hope so. Uh, but equally, looking forward to Ryder Cup. It's going to be brilliant. But um, yeah, it's. I'm not sure I've paced myself very well here. Uh, but look, Paris, Lyon, Rome, it's not bad, is it? Not a bad life. Uh, and it's the two games this weekend I'm really looking forward to. Them. I think they're going to be fascinating. Really interested barometer of where things are. Um, and look, it's going to be, uh, yeah, looking, just can't wait to get going. Going to be two absolute bounces. Yeah, I've already got myself into trouble by whinging about being tired and hot and uh, at 2am on a Saturday morning after the opening game on social media. So we won't do that. We realise the fortunate position that we're in. Uh, mate, before we wrap it up quickly uh, on the All Blacks, I guess a week off, um, probably well-timed for them given the injuries that they've got in their camp. Uh, Liam Napier's piece on ESPN this week highlighting just a few concerns around the front row in particular. Torrell Lomax should be back for that game against Italy next week, which... I don't want to call it a banana skin game. We might talk more about it on next week's North-South. But um, Italy are, are on the improve. I don't think they're good enough to beat the All Blacks, but um, it should be a, an intriguing game nonetheless. Geordie Barrett also uh, approaching full fitness. But the other game this weekend of interest, uh, Argentina-Samoa um, in Pool D, clearly probably you know not essentially playing off for, for second spot, you would think, with Japan still having to play both of those sides as well. Um but a big game for Michael Checker, and um, they were pretty ordinary at first up, weren't they, Argentina? Yeah, they were, and I don't think they can play that badly again. Um, they never got going against England, and it was one of these things when you see a performance like that, you're saying, uh, were England good or were Argentina bad? In this case, it was both. Um, I, I think Argentina will come back, and I think they'll beat some, and I think they'll probably go through uh, on as second-place team. They're too good a team not to sort of find their way, find their find their form and find their feet and get cracking again um i just think they are but but you know they they've got a couple of historical wins this year and i think that's enough for them to refine they're back in france so many of the players have played it before um you know historically as well you know you're back in the sort of the land of that 2007 world cup where they finished third and playing some of the best rugby we've seen yeah so i think they'll come good and i think they'll beat some up agreed agreed i think um you know samoa showed it uh, they're a team improving and um, certainly brought in uh, with the world rugby change of uh, eligibility have been bolstered. But you would think that Argentina, with a with the two week break, a little bit fresh, and I'm sure Czech's been into them around exactly that. That you blokes can't play that badly, losing to a to a 14 man team for what was it 77 minutes, um, is fairly ordinary. All right, mate. I think that's a pretty good wrap for the first edition of the North South Pod for Rugby World Cup 2023. Um, as I said, you've got a big three days coming up, so just uh, just ease into the weekend, would you, all right? I'll try my best, Bruce. Cheers, guys. Uh, all the build-up, of course, on ESPN.com.au and ESPN.co.uk. Uh, we've got your weekly preview, uh, all the ins and outs, and a big feature coming from Tom on Warren Gatland. Plenty of Wallaby stuff in the build-up as well. A one-stop shop. Uh, enjoy it, and we'll talk to you again next week. Cheers. Cheers.